It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman and Olga Nulic here to wrap up another weekend of NBL action. The countdown continues to the postseason. We might even have a little bit of NBA to talk about. Ben Simmons made his return to the court, and I know everyone is desperate to talk about what that could possibly mean moving <laughs> forward because I will tell you right now, I was highly, highly impressed with what I saw uh, watching from the couch yesterday as we record this. Dyson Daniels is heading back to All-Star Weekend. We might touch on that as well as the countdown continues to Indy. It's going to be a pretty fun weekend, I think, for the NBA. But first, we like to get to some housekeeping to start things off. And if you haven't done so yet, maybe you're new to the podcast or maybe you've been with us for a while, but you've just been slacking, we ask that you, uh, you subscribe. Turn the notifications on because we have changed the day of the podcast. We mentioned that last week, but now Wednesday afternoons is a time that you can find the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour uh, each and every week. If you have the notifications on, you'll know when we drop the show. And get involved as well. Social media, myself, Olgan, we're very active. If there's something you want us to talk about or there's a question or some feedback, good or bad, please send it through on the social channels. We're very open to uh, that type of communication and it makes the show fun if you guys are telling us what you want to hear. Olgan, all right, we got that out of the way. I like well done. To, yeah, no, thank you very much. Very smooth. I like to throw to you... Uh, to start the show most weeks. Now, we're cheating a little bit because we have just discussed potentially the path we're going to head down. If we rewind all the way to the start of this round, you were in the building at the wonderful State Basketball Centre. Let me ask you about your experiences of watching this Southeast Melbourne Phoenix team over the weekend because we know last week I certainly gave them a bit of rubbish and they deserved it. Uh, what did you see on the weekend? Because I think it was a it was one of the feel good stories of of this round of NBL, no doubt. Um, I think they cared more clearly. Uh, I I reckon they would have got a bit of a wake up call, having lost to Adelaide by thirty some odd points, <laughs> like uh, the week prior. Then they went to New Zealand, lost by thirty some odd points, and I think there was there was a sense that if we're going to be in this arena with these fans out in the southeast of Melbourne, they come all this way to see us. They pack the house out. We have to give them something to, at the very least, be proud of, right? It, it was. It got to a point where we understand that they're missing a lot of their key players, right? We understand that the majority of the guys we're seeing on the floor are either end of sort of bench roster guys or development players. Like We know this stuff. And so there's maybe not an expectation that they're going to win, but at the very least, they're going to compete. And they hadn't been doing that. Until they went up against Sydney, where it, we saw the competitive fire from everybody. We saw Mitch Creek lead the way, and then everyone sort of followed behind him. And granted, it was against a Sydney Kings team that was lacking physically, that put zero pressure on them, that, that came in with zero urgency for some reason. Um, so, so that went in their favor. And then also they just hit a, a bunch of shots. And I don't know if that's because they were feeling themselves after a really good start, but Every single shot started to fall. They got a ton of output from the young guys, from Owen Foxwell, from Ben F, and Cody Statman, 
from all of these guys. And they ended up coming away with a really big win, at least like morally. That win probably doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things when it comes to this season, right? I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think they think they're going to make the playoffs. Um, it maybe hurt Sydney's chances of of getting a better spot within the play-in race. It could hurt their chances altogether. But at the very least, they needed this like moral victory. They needed to to show that, hey, we still have the capacity to compete. They did it again against Perth. They didn't win that game, which was the, their later game in the round. But at the very least, they showed some like fire and effort and urgency and, and at least like the sense that they cared a little bit. Um, that's what it felt like in there. And it was a really cool feeling there. It was, it was fiery, it was buzzing. Um, and you could, it was, it was weird. Like you could t- sense from the very start that this was a completely different team than the one we witnessed a few weeks earlier against Adelaide. Yeah, I must admit, I was a little bit annoyed with the Phoenix because I woke up at about 4.30 a.m. or whatever time it was over here, and I've got a terrible habit. I look at my phone. I'm sure a lot of people that listen to the podcast do it. Don't do it because you're going to see something that distracts you, and it's going to keep you (laughs) up for several hours. And it was this game because I thought, look, I'll just have a quick look on the NBL app and see where this game's at. I'm going to wake up in the morning and watch it anyway. And I just had to turn it off because I'm like, what the heck is going on in this game? So I agree on on the grand scale when you talk about what this actually meant. When I walked away from it, I was more disappointed in Sydney than I was impressed by anything I saw by the Phoenix. I felt good for the Phoenix because, as we said last week, as bad as they've been, I, I wanted to see them competitive because they needed to get some sort of positive out of the, the back end of the season here. And out of upsets that we've seen, this one had to be on the high end of the scale because of the personnel they had out of this lineup. Uh, let's focus in on Mitch Creek, though, because you mentioned uh, Mitch and he had 31 points in this game. He played nearly 38 minutes, so we've seen this a lot from him over the last few years. Uh, one comment I made on the podcast last year that out of everything that's gone on with the Phoenix, it's so disappointing that, and, and I, I said wasted, and then I sort of walked back on wasted because I felt it was a bit harsh because I don't even think Mitch Creek would say that's been a waste the last few years. In terms of whatever he's gotten out of being around this club, it seems like he really enjoys it. But when you have a guy that really has been on an MVP level for multiple years, the fact that they're almost certainly going to get to the end of this season and there's only been one playoff series that they've been in and that was behind closed doors. And so the Phoenix fans have never seen Mitch Creek play a playoff game. A guy that if this team had won more games, might have one, might have two MVPs. Uh, just watching this game the other night and seeing him get to that level again, uh, if you think about some of the other guys that have been on the MVP level over the course of that period of time, Bryce Cotton, obviously, if the Perth Wildcats don't win, it's a shock to the system. With Melbourne United, if it's a guy like Chris Golding that's been around for a long period of time, this team's always in the mix for winning. So I still think that, yeah, big picture, it's a shame that you get another great performance like this and they continue to be there. I know we're going to talk about All-NBL a little bit later, it would be cool to see this guy in the postseason because when you see him put forth efforts like he did in that game, he's going to leave absolutely everything on the floor in that do-or-die situation, and we just haven't had a chance to see it. Yeah, over the past few seasons, as far as the the elite of the elite local talent, it's in some order Mitch Creek, Xavier Cooks, Chris Golding. And Xavier Cooks, has- two titles. You, that, so I, you know, I should have mentioned Xavier there, but it's another perfect example. Yeah, where you have this elite local talent and the Sydney Kings built a really, really good team around Xavier Cooks and he was able to show his worth in the playoffs and ultimately lead that team to some titles. Grand final MVP was a regular season MVP and you get that because your team wins. And unfortunately, Mitch Creek's team 
has really been in you know the very upper echelon of the of teams season by season. Um, I know you don't like the word waste. Um, I get like in a macro sense, like I get every, every season is an opportunity to grow. And so it's not a waste. You sort of use it for your development. But and this is something that annoys me about some coaches we hear in press conferences sometimes. Sometimes you have a goal and the goal is to win games and to ultimately win a championship. If you don't yeah. do that, then you have unfortunately failed that season. Now you can say in the same breath that you have not achieved your goals in a season while also having some learnings that make you a better person and player and whatever. But it's okay to say that in a micro sense. This is a, a waste of Mitch Creek's talent to an extent. And we saw it in this game where he unfortunately just doesn't have the pieces around him to have consistent winning, right? At least right now, he doesn't have that. And so he goes and drops 25 points in the first half of that game against the Sydney Kings. And it's like, you sit back and think, they really have their marquee guy, their local player is someone of that capacity. And unfortunately, they're not going to be in a position to win this game or, or the very or to, to win games consistently to, to win a championship. That must be a very frustrating thing, but not just Mitch Creek, but for everybody involved in that you have invested all this time and money and effort and just sort of like your moral, like your feeling into this guy, but not really gotten a, a material reward from it. Sure, you've got fun memories, right? You have good experiences and all that, but ultimately you're you're doing a job and you're there for a reason as well. And unfortunately, I don't think they're, they're going to reach that with Mitch Creek okay. having un- up until this point, and then they're not going to do it this season. So, Yep, get to the playoffs uh, next year. Make sure it happens. I know that they're trying to do that. but And the reason I say use the word waste, or I said maybe waste doesn't work, is because I think if I said to Mitch, hey, this has been a waste of your talents over the last four years or whatever, he, w- he would disagree with that. That's why I say that maybe it's a... Uh, it's a tough word to use, but I agree with you. If you're realistically talking about the talent they've had on the roster, um, the positions that they have found themselves in in certain seasons, uh, no question it's a waste. They should have been in the postseason more than that. Uh, and the fact that the one series was against Melbourne and the closed doors, as I mentioned, is a real shame as well. These fans probably want to see this team at John Kane Arena in front of a, a packed house in the <laughs> postseason. One team that we know is going to be there is the Perth Wildcats. And they did just miss a little opportunity with a game against Illawarra to try and uh, get that win there. Now, that game wasn't going to be a given. The talk about Bryce Cotton and the Hawks and what did they figure out, uh, where do you sit on that fence? The two times they've played here in the last sort of four or five weeks, Bryce Cotton 12 shot shot attempts and then nine shot attempts, the two lowest marks of the season for him. And that would be part of the plan. Don't let him shoot at all. Minimize those opportunities. You at least give yourself a chance. Uh, what do you sit on this conversation that's always going to be going on about Bryce anytime he has a, a quiet game? Yeah, well, see, I think the reason why this is somewhat of a conversation is because the the tactics that the Hawks used were, were really obvious. Um, they just, as soon as Bryce put on the four, they would send another body. Basically, whoever was guarding Hiram Harris, they'd send that guy over. Basically, just show two bodies of Bryce Cotton and make someone else beat you, right? Or make Bryce beat you over two guys. Um, they put a ton of length on Bryce as well. They started Young and Lee on him. They put Winnie Sparks and Bullock on him. So it was, it was, this was the smallest I've ever seen Bryce Cotton in the NBL, or at least that I can remember. Because um, Bryce is a small guy in in height and in stature. Um, but you never really feel it because he generally plays bigger than he is. This In so- these two games against the Hawks, he has looked small as well, which I which I found interesting. And now is this like 
the answer? Is this like the panacea, like the thing that, is this how you stop Bryce? Like, no, like no one can stop Bryce on a consistent basis. But is this a way to junk things up, to slow him down, to make the Perth Wildcats think twice about what they're doing offensively? Sure. Like, this is just demonstrated to have worked for two games from the Illawarra Hawks. We'll, they play one more time this season, which should be really fun. We'll see if they implement a similar tactic. We'll, we'll see what, what John really does and what Bryce Cotton does to counteract that. Um, but this, the thing with this is I don't think it was particularly, like, complicated. It was, it was we're sending another guy toward Bryce. We're, we're putting a ton of length on him and sending multiple bodies at him. And we're, we're going to let someone else beat us. And in these instances, no, the other guys have not beat them. That may be the thing that other teams lean on. Maybe they think well, we're not going to let Bryce beat us. Or we're just going to put really tough coverage on Bryce. And if he's going to hit tough shots, he'll hit tough shots. I, I don't know what the answer is. But at least in two games, what the Hawks have done have worked. Other teams may just follow suit. We've spent a fair bit of time over the last few weeks talking about the Perth Wildcats and the role players that have really fit in like a glove and accepted perhaps different roles to maybe what they thought they were going to have at the start of the season or maybe what it looked like in the first few weeks of the season and they've done it so well. So this is the same as every team. We talk about it with Tassie. What happens if Milton Doyle has a, a quiet game? You hope that Jordan Crawford steps up for Melbourne United if JLA has a quiet game. Maybe Chris Golding goes off. Even with the Sydney Kings, whether it's Valentine, it's Jalen Adams, go down the list. So for the Perth Wildcats, this is just probably the one question because even if you look at the box score, Jordan Usher, 3 for 14. Uh, Keanu Pinder didn't have a big impact in terms of, okay, how are we going to tick over the scoreboard if Bryce isn't getting us the 30 points that we've seen over the last two months? So I think that's a question for Perth. Uh, while all these guys from the outside have been unbelievable at accepting what is going to help this team win on most nights. Uh, if a team is going to throw multiple bodies and lots of size at Bryce Cotton, Bryce is smart enough that he's going to find those other guys and they need to find a way to score and keep the offense ticking over when they've got four on three uh, situations. And um, they haven't probably done the best job of that against Illawarra in those two games. No, I agree. Um, and we've seen Ty Webster play well of late. So maybe he's that guy. Um but I agree that I, I don't know who, you know, the second, it really goes from just Bryce and then a giant drop to like a, a series of different dudes, right? Um, I'm I'm curious of, uh, if other teams continue to implement this, what the different counters are to get other guys involved. Because I'm not, I don't know what, what that is. I, I think it should be Keanu Pinder. Yeah. Um, I think they, they, the expectation coming in and, you know, what they're paying him kind of dictates what, that, that role that he should take, which is he should be their, their second guy, their second option. Um, and I think there's potential for him to do that. I think he's slowly finding his feet a little bit better in this Wildcats team. He's been solid all season long, but he hasn't really broken out as that guy. I think there's there's potential for that to happen. Um, but if you're a team, okay, like if you are you have Bryce in front of you, you get one game. Let's say it's a game three of a semis or a game five of a grand final. Are you living with Bryce or... Are you sending extra bodies at him and making someone else beat you? What What is your bet? Yeah, you make someone else beat you, and then that's why I'm saying it's up to those guys to start making some shots and start ticking yeah. the scoreboard over, and then you force the team to change back. And if Bryce is one-on-one, -on -one, we know that he's going to dominate because Bryce is a really good facilitator. I know it can be yeah. challenging if you've got two guys with size and length that can swarm you a, a little bit, but nine times out of ten, 
He's going to make the right pass that allows the defense is going to now be in rotation. He can make a, a couple of passes around the perimeter, get it inside. You're right. Keanu Pinder, let's not forget, last year there was talks, is he in the MVP conversation? So yeah. you should have, in theory, what we thought at the start of the season, two guys that can get to that level. Now, I'm not saying anyone's ever thought that Pinder is on the level of Bryce Cotton, but last year in Cairns, he was, from a from a box score standpoint, from the number standpoint, was having that type of physical dominance. So I agree with you. I think he's going to be the guy. Uh, Bryce Cotton was 8 for 8 from the free throw line in this game. Uh, we're going to see this more and more. Opposition coaches will say, well, he gets to the free throw line too much. John really will say he doesn't give enough calls. Uh, I think that this is all part of it. And I think it's always amusing to see how the, the fans react to that or the commentary that comes after it. Most of the great players in this league could make the case that they should be at the free throw line more than they are. So this is also part of the defensive strategy with Bryce. Be physical and on the day, see what you can get away with. Now, I know everyone loses their mind about the consistency factor, but we know that it's going to change from week to week. And if you get a day where you can be overly physical with Bryce and they'll let you get away with it, they're not going to call a foul on every single possession, then John really is probably going to end the day frustrated and the other team might get a little bit more credit for doing a good job on Bryce. I mean, we've seen this time and time again. Were you in the press conference with us last season in Melbourne against Perth where John really did something similar where he, he might've looked at me or looked at one of us and said, Hey, what is, what is FD? And what is the number next to Ty Webster? Were you in that press conference room? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we've we've been through this before. Yeah. And in that case, I think Ty Webster drew zero fouls, right? And then John really was not happy about that. But I'm pretty sure that was also a toward the end of season thing. And there is a really good argument that this is just some good posturing from John really going into an important part of the year, going into the playoffs. We just want, we would love to highlight that perhaps our best player should be getting more calls. And that is not an unreasonable thing to do as a head coach. Um, if you go and watch the tape, oh, I was at that game against the Phoenix. I didn't see an issue. Um, there was one call that was right in front of me where Bryce got fouled on a three-point attempt that they didn't call. They probably should have called that. Bryce gets some superstar calls. He <laughs> doesn't get some calls because he is he sometimes fails a bit, right? So generally, everything just re reverts to the mean. You, the the superstar calls that he does get is balanced out by some of the calls he doesn't get because sometimes he flops, right? He still draws the most fouls in the league. Granted, he probably has the highest usage and plays definitely plays the highest minutes in the league. He draws a lot of fouls. Um, I, I don't think... I think Bryce generally draws the correct amount of fouls, night in and night out. I don't think there is an issue there. But I appreciate... John really putting this narrative into the ether so we can talk about it for a week and so going to the playoffs. Maybe Vaughn Mayberry gives him a call or maybe Michael Allen gives him an extra call here or there. Because JR said something and we spoke about it for ages. Uh, typically, when this happens, Olgan, the people that are the most annoyed about it are the team that play him next. So I'm just scrolling through the schedule. The New Zealand Breakers uh, in Perth. So going to be yes. in front of that crowd. Any foul call for Bryce Cotton, I'm sure, will be strongly approved uh, by the fans over yes. in Perth. So if you're the breakers, keep an eye on that. Uh, there was a game earlier this season uh, where Bryce Cotton lived at the free throw line against the breakers and Modi Mayor 
very wisely said that he wants to look after his money and he didn't have any further comments about the officiating, but that'll be something to watch uh, this weekend for sure. Uh, one other number, you mentioned the usage, the minutes that Bryce Cotton plays, so they lose this game by 18 points. Uh, they were only minus six in the 34 minutes that Bryce played, so that's a two-possession ball game. So in the six minutes he was off, they were minus 12. So when we talk about who's the other guy, you ask why he plays 38 minutes a night, they can't survive without him. So this is going to be something to watch uh, moving forward as well. And it's pretty rare to see him with just the 34 minutes on the box score. It doesn't happen too often. He must have been fresh at the end of that game. <laughs> no, can I point something out to you? Because I was watching that game, and I think I might have tweeted this with my like my weird burner account thing. Um, oh, boy. So no, so the Wildcats, so they were down 38-27 with five minutes, 12 seconds remaining in the second quarter, right? So they were down 30, so 11, down 11 points. You could see John really call for Bryce Cotton to come to the game, right? Bryce Cotton goes to the scorer's bench. So that's with five minutes and 12 seconds remaining in the second. There was no stoppage until two minutes, 16. So we, you, they went nearly three minutes of Bryce Cotton trying to check into the game. Yes. There were no stoppages and JR didn't have any timeouts left. And so by that point, uh, the Wildcats were down 51-29. So you're looking at a giant difference there. Um, just from the few minutes that Bryce Cotton was trying to check into the game, but couldn't. So that, if, if I, I, I think people get uh, frustrated by a lot of us talking about, like, hey, you should probably get Bryce Cotton some rest going into the playoffs. Like, it makes sense just to not play him 40 minutes if you don't have to. Obviously, risk management's a thing when you have a guy out there and you don't want a little, again, it's not necessarily about tiring him out, but what if an awkward fall happens? We've seen freak injuries, even a, a little ankle thing that could keep him out for a few weeks. Little things like that. Keeping him off the floor manages that risk a little bit. Um, but when you see stuff like this, you understand why John really wants to keep this guy on the floor. Um, he really does keep... He's the heart of the team. As in physically, the, the team generally has a ton of trouble operating if he is not on the floor. You'd probably get a foul there. That would be one way to get him on the floor, wouldn't you think? If, if you're a... yeah. It's weird. It's, you got two ends of that coin there. If you foul, like, sure, you foul because we want to get that best player in. But if I foul, I might be the one that's coming off of Bryce Cotton. And oh, I, want well, the, I, I want to get all the minutes I can. Come on, mate. If you're that player, don't. You just get to That have, is true. Don't show up. <laughs> you're going to have a level of awareness to understand what's happening for the team. And uh, you got a chance at top spot. So the Perth Wildcats are now 16 <laughs> and 8, uh, Melbourne 17 and 7. So it's going to get pretty tight here, both teams with four games to go. Uh, Melbourne United, so they played the Brisbane Bullets. They took care of business there. While we're talking about press conferences, what did you make of Dean Vickerman discussing the Aaron Baines screen, Ian Clark, um, running into the brick wall, uh, shall we say there? That's not something that we have not seen uh, throughout the career of Aaron Baines. Now, moving here, but uh, overall, I don't think too many people can look at that and say that there was anything overtly dangerous or aggressive about that. So so what did you think of the the calling out, shall we say, uh, from Dean firstly? Um, I think it was like, I think it was like an emotional yeah. uh, reaction. You, you see your guy get, I think he probably thought he got hit on the head more than he did. Um, Dean did eventually say that he took most of that contact on the shoulder. So yeah. Ian Clark did not go to concussion, into concussion protocols or anything like that. I think that was just like an emotional thing of our our guy got hit quite hard and fell to the ground and was hurt and we're not happy about that. 
So I think that's just a general thing. And Dean mentioned something about something similar happening at the Blitz as well. Yeah. So just just general, just a really swift reaction to what happened. I think on second view, you you notice that it was just one of those just like prickly veteran plays that if a guy's head is an inch like higher or lower, the outcome probably could have been different. Um, I think, and I think there's general agreement on the actual circumstances. Like, should it have been an offensive foul? Yeah, of course. Like, he moved. It was, it was a moving screen. He kind of threw the little chicken wing out there. Uh, was it dirty? I don't, I don't think so. Um, has Aaron Baines, does Aaron Baines earn the, does he deserve the benefit of the doubt in this situation? There's a, there's a good argument that maybe he's throwing the benefit of the doubt away because of some of the instances that we've seen in the past of him being overly aggressive. Um, but again, you, you can't say it's really exciting to have Aaron Baines in the league because of the style of play that he brings and then complain about the style of play that he brings. Like you you either embrace what Aaron Baines is and what he's done across his career for, for in the NBA and for the boomers, or, or you don't. I, I don't think you can have it both ways. And I think most people appreciate the physical style of play that he brings. I think people would say that that is a very Australian thing. Yeah, and there wasn't whether or not he set screens with the attention to uh, physically impact the player trying to get through. I mean, that's the idea of setting a, a good screen, right? So to me, yeah. he didn't like thrust his knee out or his hip out or anything. Like Ian Clark ran into his shoulder. So yes, it was a little bit late. But to me, if you're a big man and that's what your job is out there to do, you're trying to clear a space. Aaron Baines does it as well as anyone or has over the course of his career in those types of situations. So... Yeah, I agree with you on Dean. I, I, whatever. I was after the game. Uh, Ian Clark played in two days. So I didn't have a, a problem with that, but I just thought it was interesting because that's what did spark a conversation off the back of that. Um, but yeah, for Aaron Baines, I, like, you know, we see screens all the time. And I'm telling you, we see worse screens <laughs> that can be more dangerous than that with the, the way they're executed every single week in the league. So maybe he has a reputation for being a physical player, but it's not like he's whacking some guy in the head on the way to the basket or shoving some guy when they're in midair, he was setting a screen. But what we did see follow on from this, and uh, you told me, I, I double-checked before we started here, it was deleted now, but there was a social media stuff from the league saying, should Aaron Baines have something to answer for? Now, clearly not, because nothing came of it. So uh, they obviously deleted that, but I was disappointed that that even came up. My first reaction was, I don't think that feels right to me to to say that about Aaron Baines, regardless of, as you pointed to, if you want to celebrate one of the greats of the game in our country coming back and playing in the league, then don't throw his name in the middle of a controversy that you know is nothing. And so now you are contributing to the idea that Aaron Baines is some kind of dirty player or dangerous out there, or trying to hurt guys, just by starting the conversation. Now, rightfully, it got pretty well slammed from what I could see uh, on social media, and then obviously it led to them being deleted. But I do think, regardless of what happened earlier this year in Cairns, or whatever, I, I think we should we should have a bit more respect for Aaron Baines, and, and we should continue to celebrate whatever time we have left of watching him play, because we've been lucky to see him play in Australia. And I think for all of those guys that have done such great things, we do should treat them a little bit uh, differently in those situations and not throw their name into situations that are completely ridiculous and no point in doing that. Um, 
so I think it was the right decision that they got rid of it because that's not a conversation I, I thought was necessary or fair. Yeah, so uh, it's a it's such a weird one because the the fact that Melbourne didn't request a review or make any sort of official complaint probably should have been the end of it, right? Of if this is the this is the team that said a thing about it. They didn't follow up on it, right? So in they they're the aggrieved party in this instance, and they were not aggrieved enough to put any official complaint out there, right? So presumably that should be the end of it. Um, I think a lot of people around the league, a lot of players definitely, uh, are having trouble differentiating between the NBL media department and and NBL HQ. Um, and I think people have to understand that these are two separate things. Um, for example, if it was a different media outlet that posed the same question, I don't think it would have gotten as much heat. That would have just been a media outlet asking a question of its fan base. But the fact that it has the perception of coming from the league uh, makes it look somewhat compromised and makes it look super awkward, right? Because then, then it looks like the entire league is is against this person or this entire league is basically drawing a crowd and, and, and sort of like conducting a rallying cry against a guy, right? And that feels unfair. I, I think people, I think players around the league just have to accept that NBL media is not going to go anywhere, like the, the NBL's media arm. And I think people just have to treat it as something separate to... Uh, NBL HQ. Now, the reason why it's it's okay to push the narrative to an extent of just of the circumstance that happened was because Dean Vickerman said something about it. So it's like, you can present the quote, but I think asking the question was where it probably went slightly over the line um, with regards to people being, I think, quite rightly aggrieved by what was asked. Um, but I think this this does, it goes into the broader question of, of the way people are, are reacting to and treating the NBL's media arm, which is separate from NBA, NBL HQ, and I think people have to understand that. I'm not saying what they did was right, but I, I think people have to understand that this wasn't the NBL pushing this thing. It was their media arm, which is like a separate entity completely. That's right. But if it is official from the NBL, it still goes out in the same accounts as the Correct. NBL media arm. So you don't really, you, you can't, unless you can find a way to separate that. And the NBL is not the only league that has their own. Yeah, we are, obviously I'm a big AFL fan and, and they have the same thing. But you generally do see different content from AFL.com than you would the Herald Sun or you would from ESPN.com.au. So you, you're exactly right. If I came out and I tweeted that Aaron Baines, does he have something to answer for, then I can I can do that. Yeah. But I don't think that you can separate it. I also don't think it's, in my opinion, I don't think you can ask the fans to just go, hey, look, when you see certain things from the NBL account, that's from the league. Uh, when you see other things, just keep in mind, it's just NBL media. Like That's not really a... You're not going to... I don't think you're going to get away with it. There's got to be a clearer designation, yeah. I think. Because if, if, if those of us within the space sometimes have trouble finding the the difference between those two things and people outside the space are definitely not going to understand the difference between the two things so perhaps it's clear designation would be a, a thing that's good for everyone because if i'm aaron baines i'm i understand why he might be aggrieved by what happened or, or look at that stuff and think that like geez like the whole league is against me like what the hell um because it's coming from the media arm but it just looks like it's coming from the league in general it looks like the entire league is like coming down on me and because there have been a few instances this year, like, damn, is this something, is this, do they have like a vendetta against me? Now, I don't think they do. I think 
I think the NBL's goal is to chase, you know, like drama and things that are somewhat sensational because that's what that's what gets engagement, right? And it's what everyone, it's what media does in general. Um, but I, I do, I appreciate why someone like Aaron Bates might be mad at all the circumstances regarding what the NBL tweeted and all that. Um, yeah, I think this this should be like a learning situation for the league as far as just, I, I don't think they should, that there should be a separation of at least like a clear separation between the league and HQ, at least just so we know where things are coming from. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you pointed it out. Uh, in my opinion, I read the stuff every day and I listen to Liam and I listen to Damon my man, when he's not running, then he's throwing out the hot takes. <laughs> and I love it. So the league does an unbelievable job over the last few years of promoting these stories. So that, you don't want that to change either because it can't go away. That is such a big part of what we all do when we watch the league. Um, and the engagement, the engagement, bringing in engagement is helpful because yeah. then more advertisers want to be involved. Salary cap goes up, so players get paid more, right? So this is a cycle. It's a cycle that benefits everybody. Um yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. Like, this isn't just there for the sake of it. No, this is something that helps the players as well. Yeah, and I think, I don't even know if I thought we were going to go down that path in terms of separating the media stuff. Like, whatever. I think that's really, really challenging to do. But whoever yeah. it is, whoever is coming up with it or doing the tweet <laughs> or the story, or maybe, and people could say, look, you're oversensitive to that. So that's fine. But in my opinion, maybe now starting to become a, a grizzled old basketball fan, <laughs> we got to look after the guys that have, have paid such an important part of what we've seen over the last few decades. So I know we want all the players to be treated the same, whatever it may be in, in these types of instances. I think it has to be different for someone like Aaron Baines who's come back and it's been such a big story that he's been back in the league. So yeah, maybe oversensitive, Olks. I'll, t- I'll cop that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if it's about... I don't think Aaron Baines should be treated differently from others just because he does have a resume. And sure, he's a... a an ambassador of the league in a different way because of his, I guess, celebrity, you could call it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they're just, I, I think conversations have to happen between the league and the players and those involved in the league, uh, as far as people within teams, coaches, administrators, just about what the NBL media is, how it operates and the, the difference between NBL media and NBL HQ. I just, I think there has to be a conversation that happens. I imagine a conversation will happen in that instance. Um, and then I think there has to be an acknowledgement from them of whenever they put stuff out, that there could be a perception that this is coming from League HQ. And optically, what does that look like? Um, I think all of these things are going to be, and this is, this is a good learning situation for everybody involved, I think. And of course, uh, as is always the case on this podcast, if there's any questions from the league regarding this conversation, direct them to Olgan. Uh, he'll take care of any responses. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Let's talk about all MBL. <laughs> you, can, you, you can hit my Hotmail. Yeah, it's the one that I very use. That, that's exactly right. Uh, all MBL. <laughs> we brought this up in headline or storyline column that you can see on ESPN.com.au every Monday. Myself, you... Peter Hawley, just go through a few, a lot of times big picture topics and we say, is this a headline or is this a, a storyline, something to watch moving forward? One of the things this week, uh, one of the statements this week or questions was, Isaac Humphries, is he going to be in the old NBL first team? So this is fascinating because the more I thought about it, and it was really the first time I've looked into it, but we are getting to the time of year where it's going to be a conversation and it's worth looking into these types of things. I've got four locks. <laughs> I've got four Name locks them. in my All NBL first team right now, as of January thirty first. Bryce Cotton uh, speaks for yep. itself. Uh, Chris Golding as well. I think what he's done, uh, the body of work this season. So I would have him in there. Uh, Anthony Lamb, I think, came in a little bit late, but he's still going to be up around. In the end, he's only going to miss a, a few games off the back of the season. So he's, he's already over 20 games, 21 games played. So I think Anthony Lamb is there. And the fourth guy yeah. that I'd have in, and some people might come out and say, well, the record isn't good enough. The Phoenix are 10 and 15. I can't overlook Mitch Creek and the numbers and the outrageous efficiency. We've discussed it. Out of some of the top scorers in the league, Mitch Creek is right there again as he is every year and the efficiency is there. I think he's a luck. I've got him in my All-NBL first team. That only leaves one spot whether it's Isaac Humphreys or whoever it may be, uh, where do you sit right now? Are you willing to go as far as me with the four locks? Uh, so like, I definitely have two locks. I got Bryce and CG as locks. Um, and okay. I think those are almost undisputed. Well, Bryce, obviously, he'll be an MVP. Uh, I think Chris Golding is the same way we're talking about Mitch Creek. From a production standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, Chris Golding is like far and away in a different stratosphere than so many other guys in this league. Yeah. Um, the lamb one is I, I'm only comfortable with the two locks um, I can't completely separate Mitch Creek's record from his individual performance um, I think it has to be a factor of some sort right and so I have Mitch Creek in like say if I'm you got three spots left and it's positionless so I'm not judging this on position at all I'm not uh, married to the idea of like oh we must pick a, a five man right? I don't care um, so like Creek is in the conversation to fill one of the last three spots. So is Anthony Lamb. Like, I think Jalen Adams for his up and down season, he is still averaging over 19 points a game, over five assists a game. Like, not the greatest efficiency, but like Bryce's efficiency isn't great either. If yeah. Sydney is a top 14, that he has to be in consideration, at least from just a counting stats standpoint. He does. Um, he does. Let me jump in. So Jalen Adams, because I think this is a this is an interesting situation. So if you look at the individual consistency of seasons that players have had, I don't know whether there's a case to be made that Jalen Adams has had a better season than Mitch Creek. Now he started pretty well, and it was about round six, round seven. I said that I thought Jalen Adams at that point in time. Now we're talking a couple of months ago now. I thought yep. Jalen Adams was the guy that probably was the MVP frontrunner at that point in time. 
is when Chris Golding was really starting to go on a tear. Bryce Cotton hadn't exploded yet. Um, but since then, how many conversations have we had with Jalen Adams and the Kings on this podcast? So to me, I can't ignore that. I can't ignore the roller coaster nature. Like the reality is, I don't know what I'm getting from Jalen Adams, or I haven't. He's, he's played pretty well here of late. Um, but for a stretch there of about six weeks, I didn't know what I was going to get game to game. So I don't think that I can put him in that mix this year. I don't know why, but I, I feel like we maybe judge Jalen Adams on a bit of a curve because of the expectations we have on both him and on Sydney. Like if you look at Anthony Lamb, like look at any back-to-back that Anthony Lamb has played. It's like by back-to-back, I mean the second game of a two-game week that the Breakers may have. His numbers are significantly down in those games, right? And so he's also like up and down. The numbers overall are great and the efficiency is amazing with Anthony Lamb. Um, but their record is worse than Sydney's. Um, and he he's also had some downs to go with his peaks. Jalen Adams, if, I feel like if you go through his game logs, it's probably generally pretty good counting stats across the board. Um, so I don't know if I'm willing to, to like slam him as much as you are, or like I, I'm not willing to do that to the same extent that you are. Um, shut the book, shut the book, not slam him, I would say. I mean, Okay, but okay, but let's just say he's in he's in the conversation for, in in my mind to fill one of those last three spots, um, along with Creek Lamb. I think Parker Jackson Cartwright has been the most consistent player for that Breakers team. Um, you know, he's also averaging over nine points a game, just under six assists a game. His efficiency is fairly decent; it's actually quite good. And so, like Parker Jackson Cartwright. Again, if if the breakers and it's crazy because it's there are many teams that I can just separate because of there are players I can separate because of their record. I think I think the Phoenix are going to be down low, right? So that's why you can sort of hit Mitch Creek for that. But if the breakers don't make the play-in, it's going to be because of one or two games. And I don't know if, I don't know if I'm ready to penalize a player for that. So I think he's in the conversation. Um, the can the can tie fans I think are trending down. I don't think they're going to make the play-in, but Pat Miller and Tajim McCall, both of them have a really good argument to be in this conversation in some capacity, right? So you have, I'm writing this down. So you've got Pat and Tajir. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure about the uh, the Tasmania duo. I feel like both have been up and down, maybe to a more significant extent than some of the other guys that we've just mentioned. Um, and I'm also not entirely sure about Nathan Sobey because he's also had significant uh, valleys to go with his peaks and his efficiency is just not very good. Um, but the Bullets could very well be a top four team when it's all said and done. And he's averaging 20 points a game. Like, you can't not have him involved. So I guess let's say he's like a maybe potential second team guy. But then look, I've got Creek Lamb, Adams, Jackson Cartwright, and then that Cairns duo as maybe filling the last three spots there. Um, I, I would have those top dudes more more in that conversation. But like, I don't think it's decided by any means. Yeah, Mitch Creek, 50% from the field, 43% from three. It's outrageous. He's been crazy. Anthony Lamb as well, as you pointed to. Uh, he is over 50% from the field and uh, 36% from three. So he's been pretty tidy there and 81% from the free throw line. I, th- I think that does count for something. Uh, I do feel when I watch those guys, because we've discussed it, unless you're going to stack the team with Perth and Melbourne guys, which I don't think is going to be the case, 
Um, yeah. You're going to have to put some guys in there where their team probably doesn't have the most impressive uh, record, and it feels a little bit different. There's normally three or four teams that are pretty good, so I, I think it's going to be interesting. You've definitely got me questioning the Lamb decision now, but I'm going to stick no, with like I'm going to stick no, with like, it. Lamb, Lamb and Creek that they are like after Bryce and CG, they're my next two. Gotcha. As in, if I I'm, I don't know if they're locks, but like they're the two favorites to fill those. As as of right now, you have your four locks. You have Bryce, CG, Lamb, Creek. As of today, if you had to put in a fifth guy, who is it? I don't think it's interesting. We wrote headline or storyline, and I said, look, if you were going to have a big man, I would only have one five. Uh, Isaac Humphreys. I don't think you can just forget the first portion of the season. It's been a late run, no doubt. He's been going crazy here for the last month. I don't know over the balance of the season, you could have him in the first team. So if you're going with a five, is it JLA? Now, JLA can only play a maximum of 21 games. Uh, Do you think... What do you think we should be looking at in terms of games limit? Now, obviously, this is a massive talking point in the NBA, and a big reason for that is end-of-season awards, and there's money tied to that for certain players. I think there has to be a a number, though, right? So in the NBA, for instance, it's around the, the high 70% of games played. We're obviously dealing with a, a far smaller sample size. The equivalent would be around the 22-23 game mark in the NBL. Um, there's a bunch of guys that have been pretty good to start the season. They're not going to get there. So JLA won't get there. Uh, Alan Williams obviously won't get there. So the big man pool drops down a little bit. You know, is Sam Froling going to be the guy there? I don't know if he's going to be first team, even though he's, he's clearly had a pretty good season. So I would say in the first year that we go positionless, I don't know, we might just not have a five. And and to be fair, I'm cool with that. I, I'm not going to get too stressed out about that. So am I, because I'm sure that there are some end of game lineups where Mitch Creek is the five or Alan Lamb or Anthony Lamb is the five or Zylan Cheatham is the five. Like it's, again, we're, we're not, we don't care that much about those like pure positional designations. Yeah. Um, if I'm, so the, the so Sam Falling is absolutely in, a, in the conversation because I think he's been very good throughout the entire season. Isaac Humphreys was pretty good to start the season and then outstanding for the second half of the season. The the averages of Sam Froling, Isaac Humphreys, JLA, they're largely the same, or they're, they're very similar. Um, the efficiency is pretty similar across the board for all these guys. So you can judge them on like a similar curve, to be honest, at least from an average standpoint. From games played, I don't want to just be a cop-out, but 21 sounds about right to me. 21, 21 games is 75% of the season. I think that's a good, that's, I think that's enough games to have somebody in consideration. And so I'm not going to, assuming JLA does play every game for the remainder of the season, and I, and I imagine he will, playing 21 of the 28 games, I think is pretty reasonable. Um, so I wouldn't penalize him for games played. Um, I don't, you just completely skirted my question. Um, I don't know if it's out of fear. Yeah, but right now, like I, that, I am, that big I, spot. Like I, I'm going to throw names to you. Is it Jalen Adams, Parker Jackson, Cartwright? Any of those uh, cans duo, Sobe, Humphreys, J- JLA, Froling? Out of those eight dudes, is there any of them? You got a well, sleeper. Well, I feel like looking after my guy Jalen Adams now. You said I was slamming him, and I've, <laughs> I'm not going to sleep tonight. 
No, he'd be in the mix. Look, it might be one of the Tassie guys, and and if I was going to pick one of those guys, probably Milton Doyle. Uh, just yeah. to, I just did the calculations there because I was doing it off the top of my head from when we wrote that article. So the NBA number eighty-two games, eighty-two games. So you got triple the length of season that you do in the it's NBL, and they're still asking you to play seventy-nine percent of games. So you think seventy-five percent is fair for one third of the length? I think we can do better than that. I think we can at least match. Twenty-four. Yeah, I mean, it's look. I know guys get hurt, and it it sucks if a guy has one injury or whatever. But it's twenty-eight games, man. Uh, you, I think the expectation to be in the elite when we're having conversations like we are, and there's so many guys in the mix that are deserving of, of getting that award. And you pick a guy that's played twenty-one games and a guy that's played twenty-six. I don't know. Maybe that's too harsh, but I think it's interesting. I, I'm curious to know whether they go down this path. I just want to like so. So you, let's say you want 24 games. Is that a reasonable number for you? Ah, why not? Sounds good. Okay. So let's say I turn my ankle. I miss two weeks of action. If you so miss, miss two weeks of the podcast, I'm getting a new host. So don't do that. <laughs> I sprain my ankle. I miss two weeks of action. Yes. I've got two double headers. So I miss four games. So they're my four games. I then have, I miss a game later, in, one game later in the season for personal reasons. I'm averaging 25 and 10. Well, I've, played, I've only I've only played twenty three of well, the twenty eight available games. I didn't reach Kane Pittman's twenty four game threshold. Am I? Are you penalizing me for this? If the rule is twenty four games, then <laughs> Kane, I've... I averaged twenty five and ten. I shot a hundred percent from the field. That's great. What are you doing, bro? That's great. But here's the guys that are going to get to twenty four games this year. <laughs> uh, knock on wood. Uh, Bryce Conn's already there. Uh, Mitch Creek has got two games to play, so he should get there. Lamb's at 21. Sobey's already played 24. Adams has played 25. Shout out to you, Jalen Adams, my guy. I would never doubt you. You're going to be in the first team, my friend. <laughs> 23 games for Parker Jackson Cartwright already, so he's going to get there. Paddy Miller's played 22. Golding's already at 24. Jordan Crawford's already at 24. Paddy, what are you doing? Uh, Paddy Miller. Paddy Miller. <laughs> 20 games for Tajir McCall, so he'll, he'll probably get there with the Cairns Taipans as well. Yeah, Gary Clark, Jack McVeigh, Milton Doyle's played 23. Humphreys has played 24 games. So the point being that you can make the case and say, well, the numbers are really good. I only sprained my ankle and I missed two weeks. Well, you missed two weeks, so you, you, you've missed 20% of the season. Like, it doesn't change the numbers. I averaged 25 and 10. I shot 500% from three. That's, what are you talking about? Well, 500%, I'd be impressed. But the, the <laughs> point, you know, I, I think if I'm a player and, and I play 26 games and the numbers are somewhat comparable, maybe a little bit down... But then someone gets it and they play 21 games, 22 games. I think the player that's played 26, 27 games has a right to feel like they should be in the mix for the extra five games, four games that they've played. I don't know. This might be a terrible take of mine. I'm, I'm open to that. <laughs> no, and look, I haven't thought like completely deeply about this either. Me either, um, clearly. You can tell. Just in my mind, 21 of 28 games feels okay. All right. Um, anything below that feels a bit like, you know, like you're you're getting closer toward like half missing around half the season. So that, that feels weird to me. Um, but just like from the, from looking at it, I don't think JLA, assuming he plays the remaining games of the season, I don't just from the feel, I don't think he's missed enough games to not be in consideration for this stuff. Again, that's just my feel on it. That's a fair call. Uh, we're looking at teams. We project ahead to this week. Now let us know on the socials, whether you think I'm a complete moron for my uh, take there and all Feedback 
Uh, happily taken here on the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Uh, the Illawarra Hawks are a team I'm looking at here. We'll project ahead to now some of the games that we're looking at this weekend. So the Hawks, they've got the Brisbane Bullets, and they're at home. And every team outside the top six right now, Cairns three games below 500, New Zealand three games, Adelaide four games, Phoenix five. If the Hawks can take care of business at home, They'll end this round at 500 and in a pretty damn good position here. Now, every time we've said this about any team, they've stumbled. So out of all the games this weekend, Illawarra and Brisbane is very, very high on my list. What have you got? Is there any game in particular you're looking at or something standings-wise that's caught your eye as we project ahead to this weekend now? So... I'm I'm still trying to decipher how many wins a team is going to need. The, when I speak to people around the league, they feel as though 13 wins and percentage will get you in. Um, and so in that case, I'm looking at this Adelaide-Sydney game where if Adelaide loses, they drop to 10 and 15. Uh, that puts them in a really disadvantageous position. Um Adelaide is somehow still part of this conversation, but I think that may be like a do-or-die game for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Adelaide yeah. Adelaide may have to win out this, the rest of the season to be part of this conversation. Is If they win out, I think they're in the plan because um, they'll be beating teams that they need to be above in the playing conversation. Um, and then if Sydney loses, then they, they drop to 14 losses. So then the most amount of games they can win is 14 at that point. Um but I, I don't I don't think it's worth picking one game because every single game that's getting played has implications. The first game is Cairns Tasmania. Tasmania is trying to keep their spot that, that third spot. Cairns is trying to keep their season alive. If Cairns loses this game, I don't think they have a, a realistic pathway to making the play. If Cairns loses, they drop to 15 losses. So their max wins is 13. And if I look right now, uh, they don't have a good percentage. So I don't see their pathway to making it. Then the next game is Adelaide-Sydney. We just spoke about that. Then it's Illawarra-Brisbane. That's a double win for whomever wins that. Melbourne wants to lock in top spot against Southeast Melbourne. That's probably one that Melbourne is looking to win that so they can just lock away top spot. Southeast, I think, is not really in the conversation anymore. And then the next day, you have Tasmania-Adelaide. Tasmania is still trying to stay toward the top of the playing situation. Adelaide, we'll see by then if they're even still part of the conversation. If they lose their two rounds, their two games this round, like, bye-bye. They're officially gone. And then Perth, New Zealand. Perth is still trying to chase Melbourne for that top spot. New Zealand, they've lost a bunch of these games of late. They're finally getting healthier. They're not completely healthy. They're still missing Finn Delaney. But they can't afford to lose any of these games because they lose that one. They dropped to 10 and 14. They probably need to win out the rest of the season after. So every game has crazy implications, not just for, for the teams involved, but for everyone else. And I just, it's crazy. That we're th- we got three rounds left, and we got n- we've got no idea who's going to be in the postseason outside of the top two. Uh, okay, that's your favorite game for the weekend. I appreciate you answering the question there. By they're all on ESPN. Just don't turn ES- Just put ESPN on and don't turn it off. Well, that's, that's what give- I'm saying. That's a given. No doubt about True. that. Uh, plenty of good programming. Then I've yeah, heard. I could have picked one. Every every game matters. It's crazy. No, it does. It's going to be pretty. Uh, interesting because once we come back next week with some of those doubles, the Jack Jumpers you mentioned, the Cairns back down to Tassie in the same weekend, that hasn't exactly been easy. Some of those longer trips for some of those teams at the back end, sometimes they can be a bit flat, so they really want to get that one against Cairns. A very good summary 
from you, Olgan. I said we were going to talk a little bit of NBA. We might tease it. Let's tease it. So Ben Simmons made his return against the Utah Jazz yesterday as we record this. was incredibly impressive. So <laughs> rather than diving in, let's give it another week. And let's see where we're at in a week's time and review what like we've that. seen. But he was... He I was, don't want to overreact. He was awesome. Oh, so like, yeah. it, it was just... It, I, I said this on Nothing But That today. I, I don't care how you feel about Ben Simmons or whatever oh. feeling you got, how skeptical you are. I think it's all understandable. But the way that he started that game after three months off, I think that's why everyone gets so frustrated. I get it. But to just see how damn good he looked and how he changed that Brooklyn Nets team, it was incredible uh, the way that he started that game. Yeah, it looked like he wanted to let it all out. Like it, it looked like he hadn't played basketball in two and a half months and wanted to just just show everything he's got. Um, but I, I, he he got he got injured at the end. No, he got I think a knee contusion at the end of that game. But I do want to see him again because of the nature of the injury and what we've seen over the past few years of his career. I want to see him string multiple games together. Like show us that you are healthy, that this back that this back injury is behind you and that you are back to as close as what you can be to what you previously were. Like, do it on a consistent basis and then we will absolutely believe it. Until then, this is like a really nice moment in time and then let's see if you can keep it up. Dyson Daniels, he's going to the All-Star game in Indianapolis. Only a couple of weeks away now as a sophomore. He's going to be in the Rising Stars game. So the Pelicans... A little bit up and down, but certainly you want to watch some individual defense because defense has been a big talking point across all the news over the last week with everyone scoring buckets. Sit down, get yourself settled, and watch Dyson Daniels play basketball. He's at an all-world level on the perimeter. He's absolutely outrageous. So it's nice to see him recognized in this game, and he'll be at All-Star Weekend, which will be very cool. As you pointed to, may as well keep plugging it. You can watch on ESPN. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. Olgs, I know just before we started this podcast, Olgs Notebook, ESPN.com.au. What do you got for everyone this week? They should go check it out. Um, yeah, we've got uh, Under 20s is in Ballarat this week. Nice. So almost every NBL team is planning to send at least one person to that. So I know Chris Bongrass was in town yesterday. Scott Ninnis, interim head coach of the 36ers. Uh he flew in last night, so he's going to be checking out the action today. Today's Wednesday. Um, every team is sending someone, um, usually sending multiple people. So this is an interesting tournament to watch. These are under-20s guys, so generally sort of 06, 07-born players. And some of these guys will be in the NBL next year or in the next few years. And so these are – this is under-20s is generally one of the more enjoyable ones to go watch. It's like real basketball – um, these are older guys, a bit more nuanced basketball that gets played. So I, I'm going to get out there probably tomorrow. Still figuring out my schedule, but I'm trying to get out there too. So check that out. Um, yeah, Old Notebook. It's a it's a fun read this week. I get it gets a bit wild. Wow, I wasn't expecting that at the back end. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop this. You don't, you don't need like a subscription to know, but no, like it's fine. Like it's still good. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, get <laughs> off this podcast and go straight there because I'm very, very intrigued now with what we could be seeing there. Thank you to everyone for listening to the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour this week. As we said, NBL right through the weekend, NBA stuff as well. Uh, all the stuff on the website, check it out. Uh, nothing but net, just about every bloody day. The jump Thursday <laughs> night leading into NBL Hoops as well. 
at the jump uh, soon to be. A you're, doing, you're doing a second one, aren't you? Oh, Why do I hear this on the? I don't. No one tells me anything, but I heard this on the on the grapevine. Mate, I just got an email with the schedule, so I'm going to go uh, make myself a cup of tea and see what I've got myself into over the next month or so. But it's going to be good because there's so much exciting basketball going on. So anyway, we appreciate the sport. I said off the top, if you haven't done it yet, subscribe. Give us a little uh, review. It's free to do, and it actually does really help the show. Uh, helps people find it and get involved. Hit us up on social media. And most importantly, enjoy the hoops this weekend. Olgan, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you next week.